episode number 90. Who would have thunk? Episode number 90. There's 90 episodes of this show out right now. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free, free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, and Kindle. There's tons of books on there. 180,000 books. Can you read them all at once? No, you can't. Audiobooks are, you know, they're the next best things to podcasts, in my opinion. Books on tape. That's what we used to call them back in the old days. Go to audibletrial.com slash apolog and get a free audiobook. Do that. Amazon affiliate programs. If you go to apolog.ca and click on the banners located on the right side, locate your country, whether you're from Canada, USA, or the UK, bookmark the link banners, and every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop, and you'll be supporting the show. Cost you no extra money. Go do that. If you want to pledge monthly amount... And I already have. There's there's a place to do that. Go to patreon.com slash and pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis. Help with the hosting and my gas fees. You can cancel any time. My current patrons are Michael Pitts, Curtis Pittman, and Mark Peralta. These guys are super awesome dudes and really help me out. Insight Recorders, now dealing with download codes. You need download codes to sell virtual copies of your album over the merchandise table. Insight Recorders will help you set up a customized page with your branding for customers to both download and purchase your music. Insight Recorders also deals with online mixing. You can send your recorded album to Insight and it'll be mixed and mastered and it'll sound just a little bit better. And also there's other services like there is a recording studio where you can actually show up and set up and record and have it mixed, mastered. Sounds good there. Good sounding room. I had a band up there last week called The Dearly Bereft. And uh, they're, they're actually, their episode I think is coming out next week or the week after. One of those two. I can't remember. We did live off the floor recording. I think it sounds pretty good. Go to InsideRecorders.com for rates and more details. Apolog.ca slash shop is a place to pre-order the new acoustic album that I'm doing. You can buy a t-shirt, which are running out, and buy the Foursquare discography for $20. That's 70-odd songs. Follow the show on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash Pod. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. And today, I have Mr. Steve Bushane, who plays in a band called Audio Visceral, as well as he is the co-founder of Bose All Natural Brewing. He makes beer. What actually is so funny and so cool about the, his story is that he started making beer for fun and turned it into a big business. Beer is a big business, everybody. He's a super cool dude. He, and his band, Audio Visceral, are, have just released an album. And here's their song, Franny.
There you go. Audio Visceral. Franny, go find them on Bandcamp. Go search them out. Go check them out. They're a good band and they're cool guys. Now, here we go. The nice, awesome conversation I had with Steve O'Shane on the Apolog podcast. There's no intro music right now because we already played it and I'm missing the one file. Here it comes. This little silent part. Imagine that there's a song. And here's the interview. Not only in your band, but don't you kind of run a beer company? Isn't that, isn't that kind of your thing? Yeah, that's that's the day job, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a family business? Yeah, I started the brewery with my dad. And uh, my sister and my brother both worked at the brewery too, as well as a cousin, a uh, sister-in-law, and a whole pile of my unemployable friends. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Bo's. A lot of people right. like like your beer, man. I I I was mentioning that we were going to be talking. They're like, oh my god, that's my best beer. That's my favorite beer. And oh, great. yeah, man, it's a very cool thing. Uh, so, how does one get started in the beer <laughs> the beer industry? <laughs> well, uh, I can tell you how I got started. Uh, yeah. There's lots of different ways into it, but um, my dad and I decided to start the brewery over a pint of beer uh, in 2004. Um, he'd been running a textile business in Bankley Kill and the whole textile industry just basically picked up and moved offshore. And so all of his customers over a period of two or three years either declared bankruptcy or, or moved off uh, somewhere far away. And he had no interest in moving away. So he came and visited me one day to say that uh, his very last customer declared bankruptcy and he was basically out of business. So we were uh, just kind of brainstorming different things he could do with the building that that used to be a textile business and the rest of his career. And we were having a beer at the time. And he said, you know, Steve, you're a home brewer and you're always bringing home crazy beers. Uh, what do you think about opening up a craft brewery in, in eastern Ontario? And I said, well, if you're serious, I'll quit my job and I'll sell my house and I'll, I'll move home and start a brewery with you. It sounds awesome. And we just spent the rest of the day dreaming up this brewery we were going to start. And the next day we sobered up. It still seemed like a good idea. And we uh, we just uh, started working on it. Yeah. Well, you'd see then, but just end up having like all the materials. I'm sure that's a whole two hours of how you got from here to where you are now. And so you've always been a sort of a, you, you brew yourself. So you, you would never like get that kit, right? Like that where you get the bucket and you... Make oh, that's how I started. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think that's where a lot of people in the beer industry got their start too. And uh, home brewing is is totally one of the one of the things that I think really helps develop an appreciation for craft beer. Mm -hmm. uh, with Bose, I I recognize that my skill set wasn't strong enough to be the professional brewer. I'm much uh, I'm a much better cheerleader or uh, coach than I am a player in that regard. <laughs> uh, so we were really lucky. We found a, an awesome brewmaster uh, named Matt, who's a really cool guy, and uh, really sort of made sure that the the beer quality would be great. Because mm -hmm. you know, um, there are unfortunately you know some breweries that open up with with people that don't know enough about you know, the professional side of brewing. And it means they've got to go through a lot of learning curve to, to kind of get up and running properly. Mm -hmm. And we were able to avoid 
some of those errors. Yeah. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) Finding, well, finding someone that understands the art of it and the craft and the artistry of it. And then you're sort of a connoisseur, so you kind of know what you like. It seems like a nice pairing. So everybody has like this... Um, I don't know, symbiotic relationship where, where you like, you know, what you'd like to taste and, and that person can probably achieve what, cause yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that was really important uh, for us is that um, because my dad and I didn't have that sort of professional experience, we, we weren't jaded uh, and we weren't sort of um, believing all of the myths that existed about brewing in Ontario at the time. People at the time thought that, you know, you couldn't try new styles and and be successful. Uh, You couldn't do half the things that we decided to do. And it was only sort of our our naivety that uh, allowed us to to try a lot of things that uh, a lot of other breweries in the province just thought we were crazy for doing. Mm -hmm. And how many, how many, do you have a few different tastes, don't you? Yeah, it's it's actually a little bit ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> this year we're going to be putting out over fifty different brands of beer. What really? Are they all made in little buckets, like one at a time? <laughs> so you can put the space for it? No, they're made in very very large buckets. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Lug Tread is our our flagship beer. That's still seventy yeah. percent of our total sales. Yeah, and everything else is kind of either you know one batch or a few batches and very time limited and in rotation. So it's kind of like lug treads the the ongoing everyday beer, and then everything else is kind of uh, to our whims and fancies. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, it, it's in yeah. I was I mean trying to associate it to like writing a song. You wrote "Stairway to Heaven" with that. That's your uh, that's your "Stairway to Heaven," right? Yeah, yeah, it's our one hit. <laughs> yeah, and you you had early beginnings in punk rock and stuff too, right? So that's. Yeah. That's kind of why we sort of connected is we have a friend and you have a bandmate that I've known Gary Doherty since the head cramp days. Yeah, since forever, right? Yeah, yeah. We He came with his band to Winnipeg when I was living there and we recorded that first album and then we uh, we became friends. And then he ended up moving yeah. down joining Trigger Happy and... And then he eventually made his way over to your area. and Yeah, and that's how we connected. So the the bass player in our band, Kevin, used to be in Trigger Happy as well. And yeah. that's how he met Gary, I guess. Um, Kevin had been in Bender before that. And yeah. then, you know, uh, I'd been in a few bands since since high school as well. And uh, Kevin's one of our brewers now. And it just kind of all all came together. Really? Oh, oh, yeah. I knew I knew Kevin had associated himself. It was with you. I saw him, I guess, was was at the Good Riddance show um, when Trigger Happy played in Hamilton. And, uh, yeah, so Kevin, Kevin had joined from Bender, and I knew Kevin and Bender in those days, too. So were you always out in the Ottawa, Ottawa Valley area or in that area? No, when I met uh, Kevin, I was in Toronto, and uh, he was as well at the time. So we we ended up living together for a little bit back, uh, kind of ninety nine, two thousand, okay. kind of back in those days. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we've stayed very close ever since. And uh, it's one of the funny things with the brewery is that uh, the number of musicians from different bands uh, that are working at the brewery now, because a lot of them come from sort of my days in the. Uh, in the punk rock scene that uh that i got to meet most of these guys so yeah um, in starting up the brewery there's 
just so many different people from different bands from back in the day, which is hilarious. It must feel kind of good to give back to people who put into a community. You're just taking it in a different medium and you're using the power of beer to uh, <laughs> make people's lives better. And that's the people that you knew in, in high school. That's an amazing uh, gift, I'd say. Not a gift, but uh, an opportunity for, for people. Yeah. It's, uh, it's um, these are people that I've grown up with and you, you really get to know someone's character when you're hanging out and there's, there's nothing on the line. You just know if the person's a good person or not. And so it's kind of like in starting the brewery, most people are like, Oh, never hire your friends, never hire your family. But for me, it's like, well, how am I supposed to trust someone that I've met for one hour in an interview when I've got these other people that, you know, I, I've known for years and years and years. And uh, it, as much as it's a great thing for me to do, it's it's a great benefit that I get to receive because, you know, I, I know I know these people inside and out. And it, uh, the uh, level of trust that we have for each other um, is, is just that much greater. And uh, it makes it so much more fun when you basically feel like you're still hanging out with all your punk rock fan friends when you're, uh, you know, doing your day to day yeah and what was your band back then what when in in the 90s what were you called uh the one that most people if they would have known us uh would have known constable brennan yeah. yeah kind of a punk mod thing we named after the cop that used to come to our high school and tell us not to do drugs <laughs> so it's kind of fun <laughs> and so you moved out to toronto for the band or was that something your family moved or what, what was the Moved out separately uh, to go to school, mm-hmm. and then uh, that's when Constable Brennan kind of formed. It was formed with all my other friends from from Bankley Kill that that wanted to be in a band too. So uh, it was a bunch of us Bankley Killers living in Toronto playing playing tunes, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, and when you so your community's quite small, like where you come from, or is it where, where do you? Yeah, yeah I bet eighteen hundred people and two thousand cows. <laughs> More cows than people. Yeah, exactly. Is that on the road sign when you write, when you drive in? It's like welcome. No, but it should be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, the 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 whole country of New Zealand is three to one uh, sheep to people. There's three that times three times the amount of sheep than people. Yeah, <laughs> but so like growing up as a farm boy and sort of like or in that farming community by the sounds of it, it's and getting into punk rock. Was there any sort of like like was there a reason to get out of town or was this sort of like is that why you got out of town or what would you go for school for? I had my, uh, my mind set on, on opening up a record label mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't want to go to music school. I wanted to go to business school to learn how to do it. So I went to Ryerson uh, for business and that's, uh, that's what I got my, my education in, which mm-hmm. actually turned out to be somewhat useful. <laughs> yeah, like here you are. You're actually running a business that's uh, the... Uh, it's just a neat thing. Like, I just find it very cool. And, and life is just all about little surprises, you know, and, and how things can turn into from from music. It'll turn into a career in music where people take music and ethics and punk rock and all the whole community part of it and turn it into a little community that thrives on its own. And that's sort of kind of what you're doing. And not only employing all your friends, but you're employing a whole bunch of people in your region. And that's... Uh, it's pretty commendable stuff, man. Yeah, we've we've often joked that we're really just running a record label, but selling beer instead of records. <laughs> it's a front. Uh, it's a front. 
<laughs> and the uh, the whole sort of DIY ethic has been uh, front and center for the brewery since we started. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's with with pride that we design our own marketing stuff. We don't hire an ad agency. It's you know with pride that we do everything ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, that sort of DIY philosophy is just kind of. Uh, emanated right through everything we do. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to market a, a like a, 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 a new batch, you have to kind of take it on, or do you have like, you must have, it's like a record label because you have a whole bunch of followers who are waiting for the new yeah something to come in. <laughs> <laughs> What's the weirdest taste you got? Because a lot of people do stuff like infuse pumpkin seeds and weirdness. And is that, is that your thing too? We've got uh, sort of different streams. So we've yeah. got uh, what we call our uh, our farm table series, which is uh, very traditional kind of true to style beers. And then we've got our wild oat series, which is um, all about experimental uh, stuff. And then we also have a Gruet series, which is a series of beer that um, uh, are, are sort of historical based. So instead of using hops, they use herbs and spices that uh, were used kind of in medieval times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with all of our beers, yeah, there's, there's kind of all sorts of craziness that, that can happen, but then we also have lots of beer that are, you know, really meant to be, uh, very traditional and, and very much, uh, kind of straightforward beers. So mm-hmm. not trying to be, uh, too one trick pony and not trying to be too kind of wacky or yeah, yeah, yeah. Being out there too. I think there's a lot of, uh, I dare you to like this in in Bruce, you know what I mean? Like, come on, you like this? You know? Well, I don't yeah. know. It kind of tastes like dog shit. Yeah, oh, but I know. But it's uh, it's infused with uh, it's uh, it's got uh, it's got an essence of dog shit, but just a lot of grass from the front yard. And drink it. You know, you could just. It's kind of like that, you know. And I catch and don't you know take it for the spirit because that's what happens with beers is that people start getting off into different venues and it's like uh, it gets weird, you know. Yeah, when you can you can look at the same kind of thing with a lot of musical taste. Too. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Oh, oh my God! Like someone's just doing that to see how how much noise you can handle or how <laughs> experimental things can get. Yeah, and the you know the the relationship with music and beer, I, I've always found to be so so incredibly similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are there are some tastes, some beers that that we make that are really for extreme beard lovers you know Mm -hmm. and they're looking for the most dramatic flavor of this or that or the other Um, and then there's there's beers that are are meant more to sort of sip and enjoy kind of thing and um it's kind of like the same thing with music you know yeah yeah you you don't necessarily always want to listen to you know the most powerhouse industrial stuff but Every once in a while, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's true. There's a time and a place. It's the fun. It's the thing is you need enough uh, uh, fridge space to to hold. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because when you put your CDs on the wall, that can take a whole wall up. You know, and then when yeah, you start, to... it can get pretty big. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's, so so playing music. So you also do. You're playing in a, in a new band. It's not new anymore, isn't it? It's not. Well, new. yeah. I mean, you look at who wins new artists of the year at award shows, and they're usually around for a decade or two. That's so. true. That's true. We're, we're new in the fact that not many people know us yet. <laughs> and it's audio visceral, right? So Perfect. you, you've, uh, you, Gary, and Kevin, you're kind of like trigger happy without Al Nolan in a way, really. You know. You, yeah, I guess so. You yeah. Got, you got I, all the, you know, and you got all like the. I don't 
crowd quite as much as, as Al he, used to. No. <laughs> he still, still does. I still does, yeah. And he does it well. He's always been oh, a great... He does it better now, yeah. He's always been... Well, there's an essence now, once you reach over the age of 40, you start tr- kicking into old guy mode, and you can just start just going off, and you have, you're have you shameless in, in how your present- presentation is. And by that time, the proof is, is when you're 80, you're like, I hate everything and everybody. You know, so it's like... <laughs> That's yeah. kind of Al's sort of yeah, beat. Al's there a little earlier than the rest of us. Speed to curve. But uh, no, Al's always been a very influential person to me. He's always been someone that, you know, um, for me, it shaped what my musical career did from the age of 20 to present, you know. So I, I have a lot of respect for him. And, you know, he always manages to, to get something going. He always has a, a plan. And he's always been, you know, a good friend to me for many, many respects, oh, yeah. you know. Al, Al, uh, I when I was in high school, he was like my absolute hero because mm-hmm. Trigger Happy was my favorite band, and this is before I knew Kevin or Gary for that matter. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we'd make the the trip to Montreal and Ottawa every time they came through, and uh, it's been kind of interesting getting to know Kevin, uh, and then you know through Kevin, you know, meeting uh, not just Al but you know a lot of the other Trigger Happy guys and kind of seeing them as, as people as opposed to just, you know, the rock star on stage kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, it's been great. Yeah, and you do a music fest too, right? In the, in the fall, the October fest? fest? That's right. It's, uh, it is an October fest, so it's it's more of a kind of a traditional uh, October fest. But we've sort of sectioned off one whole part of the festival where we bring in all all sorts of cool indie bands and uh that that sort of whole part of the festival's grown really from from just uh i would say kevin's passion he started off booking some of the early bands but kind of on the main stage there's there's a need to make it you know a bit more family friendly uh, <laughs> so we we sectioned off uh, uh the festival where we can bring in kind of anyone and any everyone we feel like and it's uh really really grown and become you know, a uh, significant part of the the whole festival now. And well, so who comes on the main side, the main stage side of it, or the I guess the more mainstream stage? Like, what groups would you get? Yeah, it's always uh, always uh, still Canadian mm-hmm. uh, and independent, uh, but we'll bring in um, you know everyone from uh, Yukon Blonde to Sloan. Um, this year we've got uh, Born Ruffians playing. Um, it tends to be sort of uh, bands you'd find on CBC Radio Two. Okay, yeah, and and then they, then you have your crazy punk rock stage, and and then you, right, you yeah. occasionally get the mom and dad coming over, going, "Hmm, interesting." Yeah. Well, what's fun is because there's also a skateboard ramp there, and and quite often mom and dad are there with their kids, going, "Oh, this is great!" Is you know, they they can watch some skateboarding and. And oh look at that! There's there's bands there too, and and yeah. it's actually um, interesting that it's not, uh, you know, shock and you know horror that on on the parents' faces when uh, when we're doing it there. So so it it, it works out quite well, and it, it um, it's fun because everyone that that comes gets to kind of experience a little bit of everything. You know, during the day we've got you know Canada's Polka King Walter Austinak rocking out the Oompa. And that's amazing to watch, but then you can go over and, and catch a cool punk rock band, then go over and see something, you know, a little bit more mainstream and then, you know, go have four or five pints and watch people throw kegs in the keg tossing competition too. So 
That's really cool. Just, uh, yeah. That's very cool. I mean, like you've sort of made your own playground and, and same thing. You've made your own <laughs> rules and you've made your own spot for to, to sort of showcase. Uh, it's really tough to showcase an, I guess, an attitude of a market, you know, like, an, like here's our attitude, yeah. here's our, but you're doing it in a way that is kind of bare bones, but it's very straightforward, you know, and that's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, kind of the, the philosophy behind the festival is we're trying to take everything that Bose is about and distilling it down into a, a two day experience, mm-hmm. you know, and that includes the, the food, the beer, the entertainment, the activities, kind of taking all of the fun things that we do and all the serious things we do and kind of mushing it into one one awesome ball of fun. <laughs> That's true, and you got, you got one coming up this year again, and it's just going to be a an annual thing. Did you notice like it, it grows? Is it grow? Does it grow, or do you like to keep it in sort of like the same uh, size for when it comes to production? Yeah, so the first year really caught us off guard we were expecting maybe 500 people to come out and when 5,000 made it through the gates we kind of realized that we had not enough food and not enough beer and things uh so uh the, we learned from that first year and then what we've done since is we've uh-oh we've been one year we're just everything goes um and so every year it's grown a little bit bigger uh when we felt we were ready for it. Uh, for example, last year we decided to just keep it the same size because we didn't know how to how to make it bigger. We might grow it a little bit more this year, uh, but we're up to 20,000 people over the two days and that's substantial for a town of 1,800. Uh, so it makes it uh, kind of silly. And I guess everybody in the town, whether they have a gas station or a general store, it all benefits too, I guess, right? Yeah, there's there's definitely the spillover, um, but even just putting the event on, I think we're spending something like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars on just local goods and services to put the festival on. Mm-hmm. And then there's you know everyone that comes to the festival probably stops at a restaurant, probably buys some gas, you know, it might stop off and check out a store or two on the way too. Yeah. So there is definitely a you know uh, an economic spinoff that that happens for it. That's that's great, mm-hmm. and I think more than anything, um, having that many people come visit the town is great for the town, uh, because now when people say, "Hey, I'm from Bankley Hill," people are like, "Oh, I know where that is." Yeah, that's really. <laughs> that's where I saw Trigger Happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah so we haven't talked enough about your band i'm sorry we keep coming back to beer but it's like uh you know we drink a lot of it but so your band you released you've released a record you're releasing an album and yeah so we put out our first album a couple months ago it's on uh, sudden death records which is really cool because uh it's the first time i've put out something that's been picked up by a by a record label yeah yeah. uh you know joe keithley and uh and the you know, the, the sudden death folks are really awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're silly. We only put it on CD, which nobody seems to want to buy anymore. Um, but, uh, but that's okay. (laughs) It's like you're, yeah. uh, Well, I guess vinyl too. People want to buy vinyl and stuff, but that stuff's so expensive. It's hard to travel with. Yeah. Um, 
and you know we'll we'll probably learn what we're doing on that side as as we go. But it's kind of cool to have ten songs that uh, that we recorded. Ian Blurton uh, did the recording. Hmm. Uh, we did it uh, all live off the floor, so it's got a real kind of you know punk rock energy that 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 you can hear right right in the music. And yeah. um, the thing I liked about the way Ian did the recording, quite often when you do live off the floor, you do all the songs live off the floor, then you go back and you kind of dissect each one for vocals and, and the rest of it. With this, it's kind of, you finish one song's bed tracks and then you immediately go into the vocals and you kind of, you feel like you're completing each song as you go. That's a good idea. Uh, which uh, I, I love doing it that way. Uh, really kind of made the experience that much more fun. Yeah, Ian and, uh, pr- Ian produced our fir- the first Foursquare album, my my band's first album in two thousand and one. Awesome. So, uh, and and Ian also famous for Weaker Than's albums and stuff too. But yeah. th- that man's busy every day. He records a band every day. <laughs> he does. Yeah, down that... he's uh, and uh, and super talented. Yeah. And he's super positive with music. Like I, I've known him for years now through Change of Heart, even. But he always has this attitude of everything's. I aspire to that because he finds good in everything, whether or not. And I think you have to in this in this profession of recording engineering, you have to find the good stuff out of it. And he kind of taught me that stuff because all the stuff his range of musical styles that he records it's it's all over the place it's primarily rock and roll you know were you down at that place in the beaches yeah, yeah. down by the sorry by the uh yeah. sound academy yeah yeah like key whatever there cherry beach yeah yeah um, it was a great spot um it was kind of fun because there's there's no actual uh window between his sound booth and then we were recording so we just keep repeating the song over and over again and then you'd if you had a really good take you'd kind of stop and you'd wait to see hear if you could o- hear him opening the door because yeah. that would mean him coming in and saying yeah good you job. did good <laughs> uh, and then if you didn't hear it you're like oh shit i guess we didn't nail it <laughs> just keep going yeah and then sometimes you'd open the door and you'd, you'd just be coming in to tell you that you had to like completely change everything wow <laughs> then you're like oh. Damn! Thought you were coming in because things were good. <laughs> <laughs> he's like I said. He he's like when he moved from Chemical, which was down on King Street, down to I think he moved around a few places. But when he finally sat there, he told me his whole attitude is like I just want to record bands all the time. And the way he reflected his whole ethic and everything is people just came to him because that's what he you know he does best and. He would prefer to be because there's you know you know I mean there's a lot of producers who could like uh, like even like like Steve Albini is like Steve Albini had a chance to completely capitalize on a on Nirvana and get a lot of money but he completely chose to say no I'm gonna do this because I love the band I love your music this is what I normally do whether you're Nirvana or some band around the corner I'm gonna treat it like it's this album. And I think that's what Ian did. Yeah. You know, he kind of took that ethic and went, yeah, well, it's just because he could go and get a big album and get the points on it and do that and then work less for more money. And yeah, it's inspiring. Yeah. One of the things I really, uh, really appreciated was uh, you can imagine I'm, you know, rhythm guitar. I'm not, I'm not a, a solo by any means. And, and I, by hacking out stuff on my own, so going into record with Ian was incredibly intimidating uh, because I've grown up listening to all the awesome stuff that he's done. And he did uh, such a good job of just putting me at ease and, and not making it about 
shit, shit shouldn't you be able to do that better yeah. <laughs> he, he was really he was looking to sort of get the best out of me and and kevin and gary obviously too but uh but i was just so scared going into that session and he totally made that go away because he just um he just put me at ease by being like yeah that's really cool it yeah great yeah yeah and never kind of critical you know even when he's got to give critical advice or critical thoughts he's not doing it in a in a way that kind of puts you off or makes you nervous that's definitely it too i because well i was when i went in i went to do when i was i was okay at guitar but vocally i was completely un had no confidence and he built the confidence there in the studio and and we did it on well we did it the way the opposite way that you're saying we do all the beds and then the guitars and then now it's time to sing and you have three days to sing your whole album and i kind of fell out i ran out of steam but he was really there for me and he actually pushed me so hard that maybe i probably could have done it in two days but it wouldn't be as good so he knew you know that time that's the time to do it and and could really, you know, and I'd be sitting there and I'd say, we do it 10 times and I'm not used to that. And he's like, it should be good after three, right? And they're like, nope, <laughs> bear with us. You know, him and James were great. You know, it's, it's it's interesting working with Ian because he never really, he's relentless. Was he smoking all the time? Um, yeah, there was some smoking happening. Smokes a lot. I didn't, not so much that I, not so much that I like, you know, what was was weirded out or anything <laughs> yeah i i was you know because i was yeah there's a lot of smoking going on because it's the studio at chemical was either smoking or non-smoking based on the band <laughs> and uh yeah actually he was on the show actually last year on this show and uh he was smoking oh. smoking a lot still smoking and yeah he's yeah he's a good uh, it's funny you mentioned that uh recording vocals too because there's i i you know recorded vocals with with a few different people and it's always just soul bearing experience that even when you have done it a few times it's just uh you you can't help but uh just feel like you're under the microscope the whole time you're doing it so yeah having someone that's there to to really kind of build you up while you're while you're doing it is so important definitely yeah because that could go south as easy because as soon as you just get nervous your whole it's your body you're dealing with not just your hands and your and your fingers the, those could fail you too based on what your brain tells you but physically if your throat gets starts getting screwed up you're just doing a bunch of nothing you're just just you're just wasting people's time and uh i got so at the end of it it was like 12 o'clock and we had to be done by like 10 and we're still trying to hammer through the last song and ian's like okay listen we're not going to do this we're not going to finish this so we ended, and i had a whole recording studio which makes me think you know in hindsight it's like you could have just come and done all the vocals at my place over five days you know but it's it's 2020 right so we ended up coming back to my studio the night before we were flying to vancouver to mix it that to finish off the last song and that was him like he just came and did it and that was you know that was a, that was an ian thing that i thought was very uh commendable because he could have been like well you're on your own finish it we're done you know and he didn't he's a good yeah. soul so you're um you're going to be you're going to be playing some music you're going to be you've released the album you're going to be doing some touring we're doing a lot of uh weekend touring yeah. kind of weekend warrior stuff uh the brewery keeps me pretty occupied mm-hmm. and uh you know Gary and Kevin are, are, you know, kind of in the same boat where, you know, we can't just drop what we're doing for, for a month and go, go hit the road. Uh, but we also, because of the brewery and Gary works for a candidate, it makes us really mobile. So mm-hmm. 
you know, if there's a really cool show somewhere, we can kind of drop what we're doing and, and go do that. You know, we played in Portland with DOA a couple of years ago, uh, just because we could. Um, and, uh, you know, stuff like that, we, we have more flexibility than I think a lot of other, other bands would, but, you know, the kind of the prolonged, you know, six week tour is just not going to happen. <laughs> no. No, and there's 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 several reasons why not to do that, but at the same time, that seems to be the way now that everybody's doing it because people need to work. You know, where do you have kids? Yeah, I've got two. Yeah, Kev's got two as well. So, so that, that definitely makes it more difficult. <laughs> yeah, definitely, especially when you're dealing with like you have to carve out vacation time with your family. You have to carve out just time. That time is very, very few and far between. If you're running a business, you're in a band, you know, that need, and all of it has commitments that unfortunately don't really, they don't jive. You know what I mean? Like if, if someone said you need to go on tour for 30 days, you have to say no. So somebody ultimately is going to yeah. get pissed off, <laughs> you know, right? But at the same time, if someone says, Hey, do you want to uh, come do a gig in Toronto uh, in a couple months? Then I'd be like, well, yeah, I'll go visit some accounts during the day, maybe do a beer dinner mm -hmm. and then go play a show afterwards. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the guys in the, the band always make fun of me because I'm usually, you know, kind of flying in the last second and then, you know, getting getting there just in time. Mm -hmm. And it, it does kind of seem like a rock star kind of silly <laughs> lifestyle, but it's, it's, it's about how I can manage to do both. Yeah. And uh you know, I'm totally blessed that I'm able to do that because uh, when I don't play music, I get a little weird. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, playing music is what keeps me normal. Yeah, it's true. A lot of people say that, you know. But, you know, as you get older, priorities change and you have to sort of uh, prioritize and balance work, fun, family. And it all should all be, yeah. you know, fun and family are sort of, sub, you know, the same family and fun sometimes you know sometimes you just gotta go play music sometimes you know it's it sounds selfish as a musician but sometimes that's like you say it keeps me normal that's what tells me like yeah sometimes i like to sit in my basement and play music and i don't want to be bothered by my family too right and it's like some people like to sew some people like to knit and they don't like to talk to their family yeah. while they're knitting it's theirs you know it's inherently yours right it sounds horrible yeah. i sound like an asshole yeah. No, but that's, it's, it's a good point. And it, I kind of think that maybe music's the only time that I still have that feels like my time. Yeah. Uh, because the it does eat up, you know, a ton of time and the, you know, I love my kids and I love spending time with them. Uh, but it, it, it does feel like, you know, I'm always on someone else's time mm -hmm. as opposed to my own. Um, the other thing that's great though, is that I don't care anymore if the show sucks or if we don't, get paid or yeah you know the the band that plays before us pulls that trick where they say the bass player couldn't show up later so they have to take the better slot and yeah it bothers me anymore because now i'm just i'm just playing music and uh taking away all the kind of stress about trying to actually do something with it yeah has made me enjoy it as as just a pure joy uh yeah. there's there's no no desire for anything other than the joy of playing, which is kind of amazing. That is amazing. I, I'm in. I'm in the same boat as you. You know, I I play in a band. I play in a few bands, but one of them hardly plays at all. The other one actually doesn't play much either. 
But um, <laughs> wait a minute, I got another band together. No, I. You guys need a guitar player. <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna form a band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the um, but, but you're right to be. Yeah, I, I. There is no real stress anymore, and it's funny. A lot of people that I know still that play in bands are still trying to quote unquote make it, or they've come to the realization where they're like, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna do shit, and then they just quit. So to me, there's like, yeah, to be able to stick with it. It's like, it's like. I don't know. I'm I'm bad at analogies, but what if you like loved playing chess and all of a sudden you found out that you can never beat anybody at playing chess anymore. Like I can never, I suck at chess. I'm horrible or golf. So fuck it. I'm just going to quit. Yeah. Why? Cause I'm not going to be Tiger Woods. And okay. it's like, well, no, you're just going to play cause you love to play golf or you love to play chess or whatever the bad analogy is. You're going to take out of it what you do take out of it. And all it takes is that one little victory and then life is good again. Right. Exactly, and the, taking out the sort of need to win some kind of false, which is really what sort of the the music scene is, right? It's this this tournament where you're all trying to get to that one spot where you can actually make a living. Yeah. And when you take that out of it, it's just it's the best hobby you could ever, work, you know? Yeah, definitely. You go do what you want. And maybe someone gives you like a hundred bucks after you did it. <laughs> like, hey, that's cool. It is. I was gonna do this anyways. <laughs> it's like it's like free money. We were not really uh well, you see all the kids listening online, right? Like, what? No, no, I'm gonna make it. I already have. Like up here in yeah. my head, I have my five year plan. I'm gonna be up on that big stage over there, you know. I don't know. It's funny. It's funny to think. I like I like the way you're explaining it too, but because a lot of people like it's like taking you kind of took up a trade that still has all the elements of punk rock community, uh, teamwork and all that stuff that needs to, you need to make it happen like a band. You need a group, you need a, you know, a whole bunch of people that you can trust and love to help you. And, and especially people that are in charge of things that you might not necessarily know how to deal with. That's, that's the crucial part. And when you're a musician and you want to go to that next level, Unfortunately, sometimes you need to get somebody who knows more people to, than you, and you're not really the priority anymore because you're kind of like low priority to them. Then that's where it starts yeah, getting totally. heartbreaking because all of a sudden, your love you've passed off to someone to say, "Go forth and and help and make this work." And then when they see all the their little jaded views of their their red flags in your career, you're done. You know, there's no more. You yeah. Know, what else do you do? Well, you go sideways. You go find someone else who might be able to help you. That's the part we've completely cut out. You know, and I say we because I did the exact same yeah. things. Like, I don't need that shit anymore. Yeah. You know? yeah. Cool to be able to find. Uh, you don't have to give up your ideals. You don't have to give up your your kind of sense of identity. But uh, one of the sad things about music is that it's not respected well enough for people to actually pay good money, which means it's virtually impossible to, to make a living at it. And uh, you know, if, if people stopped complaining about $5 cover charges, a lot more happy musicians out there. Uh, but, uh, but it's not the world we live in. And uh, it means that a lot of really talented musicians are working somewhere else. And they all have to do something else to, to make ends meet. 
And uh, if you can find that something else that makes en the ends meet that still keeps you kind of grounded and, and fulfilled, then you kind of, you've won. Yeah, we all can't be Bon Jovi, you know. There's only room yeah. for that one Bon Jovi with his perfect yeah. teeth and his wonderful hair. Still, what is yeah. he, he's doing crazy commercials yeah. now. I saw him on a, like an insurance commercial or something the other day. Regardless, yeah. we all can't be that guy. Is that Right, Frank Turner song. Uh, uh, not everyone can be Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. But yeah. there is only one, you know. And it, so to be able to, yeah, to take that covenanted spot at the point where you like in it. I don't know. There, I'm torn because a lot of me thinks, well, maybe I'm just giving up. Maybe I've just given up, or maybe you know. But you've really the real story is that you've put things into perspective and you've said, oh, I'm I'm older now. I don't. I don't need to sit in a van for 30 days. I don't I don't need to sleep on a floor. I don't need to eat food out of a dumpster. I don't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I, when I was, you know, in my early 20s, that's all I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I it didn't happen for me. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I did a few tours and with, with my band, but we never you know, got that big record deal and never got that, uh, got that chance. And I kind of feel like, uh, if had, uh, things might be dramatically different and I can't imagine being happier than I am right now. Uh, getting yeah. to run this brewery has, has been, uh, so fulfilling and so uplifting and it's, it's allowed me to, uh, do a lot of really cool things with the music that I love as well, which is really neat. Yeah. Not just for my own band, but for lots of bands. Yeah. Which is kind of awesome. Yeah. And you sort of, I'm, from what I, I'm just sort of reading this, but you've kind of made it, you know, that, you know, that quote, you've made it through another medium, but it's the exact same payoff. You've taken something essentially from nothing and you've turned it, you've, you've yeah. taken, you've taken nothing and turned it into this thing. And then that's art, you know, yeah. like that's to me, it's the closest thing to art that I can think of. So that's, you know. Yeah, I often actually say that uh, I'm not running a business. I'm, I'm, I'm creating an art project. So <laughs> it's that's uh, very much in, in keeping with, with kind of my thoughts. And it is still kind of that thing where, um, you know, if I'm if I'm walking down down a street somewhere and I see a stranger wearing a Bose T-shirt, I, I kind of get that that kind of giggle that you know, hey, I never had that happen in a band. <laughs> Damn it, it happened with the brewery, so that still works. Do you go up and and tap him on the shoulder? Go, that's my business. I work there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, I never do that. Oh well, you <laughs> should. Really you should. That'd be great. It'd be like a. Like a hidden camera show, you know, like, uh, what do you think of that beer? Oh, it's all right. It's kind of shitty. It's pushy, but not assertive. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, all right, like hidden, what do they call it? Undercover boss? That's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was my, that's my beer joke. Okay, so whenever I have a beer, I can't read the label or something, or it's in a weird bottle. I go, oh, it's pushy, but not assertive. <laughs> says nothing, but it says everything. It means I have no idea what beer is. Yeah. I have a, a just one funny story around a campfire where everybody was started getting craft beery, talking about the beer, like, oh, this is this and it's that and it's hoppy and it's not this and it's got taste of this and essence of that. And I said, you know what the best beer ever is? And they go, what? Free beer. You ever had it? 
is delicious. It tastes better because it's free. And all these people, like I, it's like a record went, you know, on the dial. Like, it's like, how dare you? They had like pewter steel cups and steins and things. And it was like, wow, you've taken it real serious here, guys. Yeah. You know, changes from my youth. You know, it used to be uh, if, if I could get a beer for free, I, I, I didn't care where it came from. And, you know, it's uh, one of the interesting things for me is that, you know, as much as sort of I've you know, had punk rock ideals for so many parts of my life, it never dawned on me that, you know, downing global multinational uh, crappy beer was was somehow maybe something I shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Um, and you, you can kind of go too far with with sort of analyzing beer to the point where you don't appreciate it just for its its simple it's simple pleasure. Mm. And that's one of the things that uh, I've always been very careful to try to avoid. Um, and again, this, this comes back to, to music when I was really trying to make, make things work for the band. I got to the point where I wasn't loving music anymore. I stopped going to shows mm -hmm. if we weren't playing because I was just sick of all shit with it. Conscious decision when we started the brewery to make sure that I kept, my love of beer while starting the brewery and uh, it can be hard to do because you, you know you get into this kind of hyper analytic uh thing and you're kind of you know you you, you want to judge every other beer and every other brewery and you, you really have to stop yourself sometimes and say, you know what this this is love the beer you know don't care if it's you know hitting exactly the same way that you would make beer it's it's good for its own its own qualities and just make sure you can keep that that feeling of, of uh that amateurish love which uh which i i i've now got back with music and now going to see a show is just as awesome as it used to be yeah uh but when i was trying to make it happen then you know uh i would just sit there and not enjoy the music anymore so you're right you know and you know when i say you know and i agree with you i think beer just like anything should be it should be somewhat locally sourced and that's sort of europe is like that like if you go to europe and you're in regions you're buying that beer from that region and if you get a bex in your hand then you're you're in big trouble you know so you don't because bex yeah. is where you get it in germany it's like or heineken or whatever or you know but yeah at the same Paul's time drink yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't ask for a what is it a, a Köln when you're in Dusseldorf or you're fucked. Like they will like they'll fight yeah. you. Yeah, they'll fight you. The yeah. Yeah, and it's fight you know because I always think you're right. Music and wine and beer it all has a right place, right time. But for me, it always happens by accident. You know, so when I have a beer that I've never had before, even if it is a brand name beer or something, and I I just it just agrees with you. And that's and there's so much body chemistry going on there like where you are like with your um i don't know just how much nutrition you have in your body or things like but when you taste that beer that's perfect for you it might not be perfect the next time you go to taste it but you'll have the memory of how good yeah. it was when you did taste it you know and so i always find it to be an well, accident you know uh, the experience is really a big part of it too mm -hmm. you know if you're if you're with people that you enjoy their company and you've just done something amazing and you're celebrating uh that 
totally changes the experience. Um, and, and, you know, if you just finished mowing the lawn on a hot day, you're going to want a very different beer than if it's, you know, February and it's miserable out. Yes. Uh, the, the experience really changes the, the perception for sure. And same with music. I mean, we've had this, I've had this conversation with music where you either listen on an iPod or you listen on your turntable. Um, both have equal consequences and have the same result. Like you're enjoying the experience, but they're drastically different, you know? Yeah. I remember uh, in high school, I used to have this one song I, I, I play on my Sony Walkman. And it was an instrumental, creepy tune. And I just, when I wanted to feel really isolated and alone, mm-hmm. just have that on the Sony Walkman and, and walk through the halls when, when, and not talk to anybody. Yeah. And uh, you could never, never experience that anywhere else. And it, you know, uh, it had nothing to do with the quality of the tape or the quality of the, 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 the Walkman, but, uh, but it was all about that, that experience it created. Yeah, definitely. And you know, the other one that I was surprised by just for me personally was, I got Beck's last album, and I can do anything on that album. I can jog with it. I can ride a bicycle. I can sit on the couch. I can drive in a car. I, like I said, I, it gets all the energy, like pulls it from me. Where I, if I'm riding my bike, I'll ride harder or I'll walk harder. I don't know. It's a, that's it's 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 silly, <laughs> but that that record to me is such a an important record for me for 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 several reasons only because it's less than five years old it's less than 20 years old and i can still you know what i mean like capture onto something and and really get into it and that that to me was inspiring because like i always felt like i'm like 20 years behind like with my appreciation of music like like i just probably will probably end up going out and buying a killer's album like tomorrow because they came out 15 (laughs) years ago it's like oh they're okay you know i don't know it's I can start listening to this now. Yeah, hey, yeah they're all right. Yeah, everybody's yeah, done with it. What's that? Something only good in the car, right? Only good in the car, Put yeah. The same album on anywhere else. And that's where he cut out, but then he came back. So let me fill you in what we were talking about. Once he came back, we started talking about the internet and how much it kind of sucks sometimes. So let's resume now. Here he comes. That's what I hate about the internet. Now we yeah. were in such a good, such a good uh, mode there, and then it all fell apart. But I yeah. think the society and like world, the world speed of internet needs to speed up for, for, for two. Re- well, for one reason, it's for this. Yeah. Uh, and how fast and how awesome would business be if you could actually just speak to someone real time and not and feel like you're in the same room? Like that's two reasons. But it can be yeah. equal, equally as wrong because then I don't need to leave, ever leave this room, ever. <laughs> I don't need to go anywhere. I could like mix the show I work at. I could do, you know, so this, yeah. it's equally as damaging. But uh, I well, always think it's uh, important to remember how shitty it used to be. Oh, Christ. Could you? Yeah. God, yeah. I, you know, when I was a kid, they got the fax machine where my dad worked. And yeah, I was I, like, what? You can do what? Take a piece of paper and you can like put it in this machine it comes at that machine but it takes three hours for per page like yeah uh, my, my parents uh, had a teletype in there where they were and it was like this giant box that was just a monster and you could you basically morse code with someone <laughs> boop, 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 boop. 
yeah 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 and then 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 became like well then we got dial up and then we got sort of some sort of higher speed and now it's going even faster like i'm on the inside because my wife works at this cable cut co- the cable company oh cool and there is some fast internet coming our way sir and if you're on the rogers network then hang on like this is going to be like gigabit speed fast internet where we will be able to speak at the same time if you're speaking into a microphone it will come through onto my like as like with clear fidelity like we were sitting here in the same room and that to me i'm excited about because i uh i'm like you i well i mean maybe i'm like you but I, i don't really like to get out that much and for this to be sort of a viable thing i can't drive all over canada to do it i'd love to yeah, but, but but I can't, you know. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I appreciate you coming on the show and, and taking taking some time. And I like the way we put together music and and starting a business. Essentially, it was what you're doing with a band. You're essentially starting yeah. a business, and you took all like the good things of like musical ethics and put it in a beer. And that's for every uh, every kid that has their parents saying that uh, you shouldn't be in a band, you know, bringing them around to the entrepreneurship side of it yep. is probably a really cool thing to do. The first uh, first business loan I ever took uh, was I think 16 years old, and we uh, I borrowed 300 bucks from my parents to to do a uh, hundred copies of my band's tape. <laughs> You know, they they thought they were never going to see that money again. And a week later, when I gave them back the 300 bucks, they're like, serious? Yeah. yeah. People are actually buying this stuff. When I started my recording studio in 1994, uh, I took a bank loan at my parents. Uh, well, what I did is I, I bought one thing, is the console. Then I rented everything else. And then at my dad's council he said don't buy anything go don't go spend a lot of money take 6 months write everything down what you've done what it costs and then from there you'll just be able to determine whether or not you're going to go out and spend all that es- the extra money and then i did after 8 months i had a $11,000 bank loan and i had all the gear i needed to go record and a lot of that stuff hung on like i yeah. st- still have the mic stands <laughs> you know, from 25 years ago. Yeah. And that's important stuff, right? You know, and that is, it's funny you say entrepreneurship. It's true. You are, you're, you're, you're developing something from nothing. And when we mentioned it before, I think it's an amazing thing that you brought all your friends along. It's like, you're, you're like, um, you're Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said. You're just like Adam Sandler. Look at you. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. But I I think, you know, that's a very, um, you know, commendable thing. And I, you know, maybe, uh, maybe we could come and play your show. I'll bug Kevin about it. I don't need to bug you about it. You're, you're just the, (laughs) he's the yes, no guy. (laughs) You tell him that he still owes me to get him backstage at the Descendants uh, um, Montebello thing. Cause I was, oh, yeah, I was there with him that year. That's where I met you. Okay. You were there. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So wait, you owe me two now. I do, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. For, yeah, thanks for coming to the show. Okay, sure. We got through it. Episode number ninety with Steve Bashane of Audio Visceral and Bose All Natural Brewing. Um, my basement's getting renovated, so I'm basically in the basement because it's like one in the morning on Monday. And this episode's supposed to be coming out in two hours, but it looks like it's going to be a little late, and I apologize. Because I got to get up in the morning and I got to send it. And I don't have a, I don't have my proper computer. I'm just using some other computer to do this. And sorry for making episode number ninety not so sexy. 
and coming out you know it comes out at three in the morning every day it looks like that might not happen this week it'll be out in the morning you'll get it last week was great connor thanks for doing the show it was a nice nice fun fun episode I'm just so busy at work. I'm just so busy. I just have no time to do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to keep this going, and I'm really having a good time doing it. Oh my God, it's a little taxing. And I'm gonna. It's one in the morning. And I'm gonna have a beer. And I'm gonna get this done. And I'll get the write-up done. And I'll get this up as fast as possible. So everybody, if this is late, I like I said, I apologize. I'll see you next week. Cause next week, I think it's gonna be dearly bereft, but it might be my buddy Lee McCormick. Or it might be Daryl Hers, who is part of the Indie Movie Festival, Indie 101. Or it might be Jamie Dagg. I have three episodes that I'm planning to do, but I just can't tell you which one's going to be yet. It's going to be a surprise. So everybody, thanks so much for listening to the show. I'll see you next week. Don't forget, yeah, don't forget about all the things. Don't forget about audibletrial.com slash apologue don't forget to help the show out by pledging on patreon patreon.com slash apologue don't forget to buy something from the store don't forget to support the show through amazon clicking on those banners that are at the apologue.ca site everybody it's been a long week it's only just started i'll see you next week bye